0: So this morning, uh, last week we finished up our series, kind of on church purpose: love God, love people, impact our world. I hope you guys had a great time delivering roses. Um, I hope that that was uh, just a beneficial time and just sharing your faith and showing others that God loves them. Uh, and so then I wrestled with what's next, you know. And you know, it's crazy. Uh, Ash or, or Valentine's Day, the day that we we talked about last week, was also. Ash Wednesday this year, if you're in more traditional things, that's the beginning of the Lenten season for Easter. If you weren't aware, Easter's really early this year. And so we're already, uh, I was watching, you know, just all those things on Valentine's Day. I saw something that was really funny, Um, you know, because when I was a kid, I grew up in the Catholic Church and we always gave up something for Lent. And, you know, you always gave up candy or chocolate, and they said, how horrible is it for Lent to fall on Valentine's Day? You know, Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day, because all those people who gave up chocolate, they already failed. Anyway, that's besides the point. Um, but I, I got to thinking this week, you're kind of getting a little bit look in my brain, and I thought about Easter in and, and the Lenten season. And, and like I said, I participated in it. I gave up stuff. I didn't know why I did it, but I did it because I was supposed to. But the essence of the season of Lent is supposed to be a season of of spiritual preparation for Easter. It's a time that that we reflect on, that we think about. I mean, some people, they fast, they pray, they study. It's it's the set out, the the tradition of it was supposed to be to prepare ourselves for the Easter season. I thought, a season of preparation. Well, I like the sound of that. And so as a pastor, I want us to go through a season of preparation for Easter. And so then I'm like, well, what does that even mean? I mean, I'm not necessarily saying we need to give up stuff or fast from chocolate or anything like that. But but what does a season of preparation look like in our context? And I thought, well, you know, a lot of people experienced Easter when it happened. Like, there were a lot of people who experienced the death and resurrection of Christ. But only some knew what was going on. Only some did uh, received the spiritual blessings of easter that is the death and resurrection of christ and who were the ones who received the blessing of easter and they were really the ones who knew jesus right they were the ones who knew him apart from maybe judas they were the ones who inherited or received the blessings they were ready for when easter came and they they were able to receive all that was and so i just thought maybe we could spend time learning about who jesus is so guess where i started And the Gospels, right? Because those are the stories of Christ. And I I was reading through the Gospels this week, and and I got the one Gospel in particular, and I decided this is where I want to be. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, preparing up to Easter this year. Uh, It's an interesting Gospel. It's probably the last of the Gospels that were written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, John was written somewhere around 90 AD. He was living in Ephesus, and some church leaders came to him, and they asked him to write this Gospel. They asked him to write it because there was a lot of um, false teaching that was around. In particular, there was one Gnostic teacher that was, was questioning the nature and the divinity of Christ. So John set out to write his gospel in response to this threat of the nature and character of Jesus Christ. The Gnostics were really trying to remove um, the, the humanity side of Christ. They were trying to just say that he was just fully God. But we know from Scripture that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. It's one of those mysteries that, that John begins to embrace as he's writing his gospel. So his gospel really is an apologetic letter, Defending the faith. It's supposed to be a source of a a tool for the early church to use when they've got people who are questioning their faith or questioning the character and nature of Jesus Christ. That's why he wrote this gospel. So uh, I want to start, well, the purpose of his gospel. He puts it in John chapter 20, verse 31. These, that's the gospel, what's been written, are, are, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. That was the purpose of John writing his gospel. He said, I'm writing all these things, all these things about Jesus. You're hearing he is or he isn't. I'm writing everything I know. Remember, this was thought to be written by the apostle John. He was the disciple who Jesus loved. He had a first hand account of him. And so they came to him to, to defend it, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we're going to look at John's gospel, and we're going to look at specifically some ways in which Jesus is described throughout John's gospel. Today, I want to start with, uh, it's going to be an interesting story, and you're going to be like, Pastor, why are you here? That's fine. That's what I do. Um, We're going to get to that. John chapter 6, verse 16. There were some interesting stories that I came across. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. I'll pause. Right before this, Jesus has fed 5,000, and he's departed. The disciples, he's kind of wandered off. This his little isolation thing. The disciples said it's getting dark, and so they, they get in their boats, and they, they leave uh, to set across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark. Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, that's a long way from where they started, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately that boat reached the shore where they were heading. And I bet you, it says, does anybody's translation say anything different than it is I? What I have underlined there. I think all of our Bibles kind of translate this verse It is I. Well, in the context of where I was, something about this verse stood out to me. Because when we read it this way, when we read it the way it's kind of written or presented to us, we get this picture. The disciples are out. They're on the boat. They're a little bit scared. There's some waves and wind. Jesus comes walking up. Someone looks out. They say, hey, there's Jesus. Jesus says, it's me. And they let him in the boat. But I believe there's a profound truth in this In this account of Jesus Christ that continues throughout the Gospel, John. I believe that Jesus wasn't simply saying, Hey, it's me, let me in the boat, remember Jesus. I don't even know how they heard him. It's night, it's rough, the wind is blowing. Uh, I, I can't imagine the scene. Three and a half to four miles, Jesus is walking where they've rowed to on the lake to get to them. And they look out and they're frightened. And Jesus says, it's me. I think it's something else. When I looked at the Greek in this translation, uh, these are the words that it's translated to in Greek. Obviously, Jesus was probably speaking Aramaic, but this is the closest translation we have uh, to what, what, what they said. And in the Gospel of John, in the Greek translation, there are several times Jesus uses these particular words, the words behind me, it's ego, a me. Jesus said when they called out, when they were frightened, when he was walking on the shore, Jesus said something very profound. He said something very powerful. I think it was more powerful than just saying, hey, it's Jesus. Because what these words directly translate to what they directly translate, anytime you see these words, they translate to I am a little bit different who's out there on the water it's i or i am I believe what I want to propose, and I'm going to to make a a defense for it today as we look at the the Gospel of John. We're going to look at three other accounts in the Gospel of John. I believe that Jesus was making a declaration about his nature as he was on the water. There was something absolutely miraculous happening. He walked three and a half miles in the middle of a storm on top of the water. My daughter was being real smart. She said, Dad, I can walk on water when it's frozen. I said, That doesn't count, Avery. Jesus is making a declaration about His nature in this moment. He has just done the miraculous and fed the 5,000 and as He's standing on the water and the disciples are frightened looking at the boat, He makes a declaration, I am! I don't even know if they could see His face. They didn't have the cool flashlights that can shine three miles. Like I got at my house, stand there on the street and watch street signs, you know, like flash. They probably had a little lantern. I don't even know if they could see his face. They looked and they saw a form on the water. They, they were frightened. And, and the voice cried out. I am. That, that's, a, that's an incredible declaration when we look at Scripture. Because if we go back just a little bit in the book of Exodus... Moses is being called by God at the burning bush, and he's asking God how he's going to use him to lead him. And, and Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Jesus the disciples would have known the name of God. That name was so revered that they wouldn't even speak it in their culture. A lot of times they wouldn't write the name of God. It was, it was honored and revered. And they're calling out in the middle of their desperation. They're frightened. And the voice comes back. Who's out there on the water? I am. God is On the water. I believe Jesus was declaring to his disciples the the value, the nature that he is fully God to them. The interesting thing about this particular statement, we're going to look at the I am statements of Christ, the different things he declares about his nature leading up till Easter this year. This particular incident precedes the rest. Later on in this gospel, later on in this same chapter, we see I am the bread of life. Jesus says that, but I believe that through these, he's declaring his nature, the the nature that we have to comprehend that Jesus is absolutely fully God. This has been his name forever. His name for generation after generation. He spoke it to Moses when when he was standing by the burning bush. And I believe that Jesus is speaking it to the disciples to make a declaration to them. not that this is just the human form of Jesus Christ out here on the water, but the the godly nature, the, the God made flesh. Remember, John begins in the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word was with God. Later on in that chapter, it says that word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Jesus 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 is the incarnation of God in this world. And I believe that as we approach Easter to fully comprehend what's accomplished at Easter, we must fully believe. I am. Now, if this was an isolated story in John, we could argue about it and you could say, Pastor, you're wrong and I would tell you I'm right because that's what I do. and, and, And we could disagree. But I'm going to show you three other times where this phrase is repeated by itself in the Gospel of John. And I believe that every time he repeats this phrase, he's making a declaration of his divinity. He's declaring that he is God every time he says this. In John chapter 8, there were some Pharisees, and they were arguing with Jesus, because that's what Pharisees and Jesus did a lot of. Jesus says, I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you're a demon possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? That's a great question. They're asking them who Jesus thinks he is. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. Ouch. But I do know him and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Yet you are not 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? They're still not comprehending who he's saying he is. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away to the temple grounds. What was so profound? I mean, he said, hey, before Abraham was born, wouldn't it have been easier for Jesus to say, I was? Like, wouldn't that make more sense? Before Abraham was born, like I, I, I was there long before him? No, he made a declaration of his name. It's the same two words, ego and me. It's the same declaration he's speaking. Something powerful happened in this moment. Those Pharisees were so upset at the declaration of Jesus Christ. What did they do? Why would they pick up stones to stone him? Because they understood what he was saying. They understood that he was answering the question, I'm going to reveal myself to you. Who, do you. who do you think I am? I'm going to tell you who you think I am. And he said the words. Before Abraham, amen, sister. Before Abraham was born, I am. And when he claimed, I am, they were so upset they got rocks to stone him because he was declaring that he is God. It happens again. John chapter 18. This is in the garden. Or in the, the Kidron Valley. It depends on which translation or which gospel you're reading it in, anyway. It's the same idea. So, Jude, so Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying their torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? You see, this is where sometimes I wonder why the translations, and we can have debates about translations. I think it's peculiar sometimes the words that they choose to use. Anyway, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, and what does he say? I am. Same phrase. Ego Amin. He says to them, I am. And what happens? When Jesus said, I am, I'm leaving that he off because I think it changes our perspective because then we're thinking it's just referring to the name Jesus Christ. But I believe that Jesus was making a a, a sovereign declaration in this moment that he's being arrested, that, that you're about to arrest God. And what happens to them? This detachment of soldiers, they drew back and they fell. This is exciting stuff. Fell to the ground because there's power. In the name of God. Because of his declaration, because of who he is, they fell back to the ground. I love this. Where are we at? And he asked them again. Who do you want? Like, I mean, they just had this, this revelation of God. Well, this will preach. Some people hear the name of God and they never respond to it. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said, Jesus answered, I told you that I am. If you're looking for me, let these men go. This happens so that the words he had spoken will be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave to me. When Jesus speaks the words, I am. He's speaking about his nature of being uh, his godly, his godly character, his godly nature. One last story, John chapter 13. We're going to go back just a little bit. Jesus is preceding these verses. He's washed the disciples' feet. You can see this account in other Gospels. What happens at the same time Jesus is washing his disciples' feet? This is a pretty impressive conversation that takes place. It's what we remember sometimes on Sunday. This is his Last Supper with his disciples. So he says in verse 18, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. He was talking about Judas. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am. And It says who I am. In the Greek it says that you will believe. I am. What a peculiar statement of Jesus Christ. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Jesus has gone through at this meal, in this time with his disciples. He's outlined what? The messianic plan of Jesus Christ. He's talking about his body that will be broken, his blood that will be shed. He's saying that a time is coming when when he's going to be betrayed. A time is coming when one will betray him. And he's saying when those moments happen, when Easter comes, you will believe. I am. This might seem basic. You know, I I said I'm going to preach on the I am statements of Christ. That's not an uncommon series. But most series start with I am the bread of life. I thought it was imperative for us as we're looking at the nature of Jesus Christ that John, I think, is, is explicit about revealing. It's imperative that we recognize before we talk about all the other things that Jesus Christ is truly God. It means something that Jesus Christ is, Jesus Christ is truly God when, when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It means something to us to believe that Jesus is, is fully God. And fully man, he is God made flesh, who made his dwelling among us. That's the beauty of Easter. That's the beauty of what's accomplished at the cross. Going back for those guys in the boat. I think it's a powerful picture. Of us in our lives. That, that time in the boat. Where, where, where they did something incredible. You see they were in their place. They were in their world. They were rowing their boat. Life got crazy. Life got complicated. Life got challenging. And in the moment when they were afraid, in the moment when they had fear, in the moment when they didn't know what was going on, Jesus Christ revealed himself as God. And I believe that they didn't just accept the rabbi they'd been following back into their boat. But I believe that when they said, come in the boat, they were accepting Jesus, fully God, into their boat. Sometimes in our life, we come to a place where we have to recognize that, that we're scared, that we're frightened. But we need God in our life. We have to welcome Him into our boat. I love it. Because the way we do that is through Jesus Christ. It's the way God intended. That's why He sent Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. That's the way that God intends that we accept the the ministry, the gospel, the good news, the Easter story of Jesus Christ. The word of God made flesh who made his dwelling among us fully God, fully man, who took on the sins of all of us to go to the cross to die for the forgiveness of our sin so that when we were frightened, we could welcome the I am into our world. Jesus is. He's fully God. He is God. He is our way. We have to allow. We have to receive. We have to accept the I am. Walt, if you can come forward. Over the next several weeks, I do want to prepare for Easter. And I acknowledge that in all of this, some of these things might seem basic and some of these things might seem profound. I'm telling you, this was profound to me this week as I started digging into the I Am of Christ. There's something powerful that when Jesus was walking on the water, he was revealing that He is God. There's something incredible that when he was arguing with the Pharisees that he said to them, "I am God." there's something profound that even when He was about to be arrested, he made the declaration to the world that I am God." but all along the way, there were those who heard and did not receive. There were people who heard the declaration, they felt the declaration. They fell back on their knees at the declaration. They were moved at the declaration, but did not receive the Jesus, the I am I don't want to be them because those who did not receive were not ready for Easter those who did not receive they weren't ready for what the death and resurrection of Christ meant to them where are you? This morning, I declare to you that Jesus Christ is the word of God who has been made flesh and made his dwelling among us. I declare he is fully God and fully man. I declare he is the I am that was spoken about in Exodus. He's the I am that is reiterated in the book of John. He's the I am of yesterday, today and forever. And we have a choice with what we hear, how we receive it. Pastor they had a boat it's easy to ask him into their boat it's not much more complicated to ask him into our lives you see we our will it controls the door to ourselves what we say and what we let in you're you're the filter for yourself Scripture says in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. We can receive what God has offered us simply by ourself. It's believing the truth of the gospel. It's believing the declaration of Jesus Christ, that He is the I Am. It's through that moment that we can pray, God, come in. You are fully God. With a way, a promise, a promise Easter feels different when you believe Jesus is God. I promise the story is much more profound when you start with the reality of, of the divinity of Christ. That divinity doesn't just start with belief, but that divinity continues in our life. It continues with the situations and circumstances we find ourselves in. This morning, I, I, I don't know where our lives are. I don't know what we're facing. But I think sometimes I need to be reminded that Jesus Christ is God. Sometimes I need to be reminded that, that the Jesus who, who we read about in 1 John, who He's lavished His love incredibly on us, that, that the God that, that He is even when I watch the news and it looks crazy. Even when I read the stories and it sounds like we're going down a crazy spiral that we can't stop. Even when I see brokenness in my life or, or when I'm dealing with trials and, and troubles. The reality that, that He is. The assurance that God is. Yesterday. Today. Today tomorrow and forever Father this morning in this place You know where each of us are God you know the the fears the threats the wind and the waves God you know what we're thinking what we're saying. But this morning, you're declaring, I am. And God, if any one of us needs to receive the I am for the first time or for the hundredth time to be reminded of what you've done or to be receiving uh, of the fullness of Christ, I pray that today is a day that we can let you in to our lives. pray that today is a day, Lord, that we could receive the I am, the ever-present, always there, God. I pray it in, in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask Walt to lead us in a chorus. And as he does, as pastor, I'm going to be up here. If you want to pray. I'll be here to pray with you. If it's, if it's got something to do with the sermon or, or something to do with your life, I want an opportunity to pray and just believe in every promise of God. God, our heart is to know who you are. As we prepare for Easter, let us know who you are. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you, grant you his peace. And may you be spiritually prepared or what is to come. Amen? Be blessed.